0: Welcome back to Open to Truth, a podcast all about exploring big ideas and discovering truth together. My name is Clint. Hey, I'm Tony. Welcome back. A little bit of housekeeping up front. Uh, we have a couple new microphones. We got new mics. I I'm pretty
1: jazzed about it. I'm happy wanting these for a while. I think
0: you'll notice I think it will sound better. I hope so. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Silky smooth.
0: Uh two things. Mm. If you are an audio only listener, just wanted to make you aware that we do have a youtube channel so you could see us if you want that gesticulating here with our hands and weird faces you know they might not
1: have you ever listened only to like audio for a while and then you go to see what this person looks like and you're sort of disappointed (laughs) i've had that happen so if you want us to remain a mystery yeah
0: (laughs) maybe you don't (laughs) yeah uh and likewise if you are seeing this on youtube Mm. then we are on all of the platforms that you can get a. if you prefer to do it like while you're driving or something
1: or working out and you shouldn't really be looking at a youtube video while you're driving right listen to the audio podcast
0: sure just wanted to make that little note no that's good uh we are gonna do a mailbag episode today i love these
1: ones i'm glad we're doing this, this. our
0: third one mm-hmm. um
1: and this is your questions that you've submitted to us, listener questions that we're going to do our best to interact with. And disclaimer, we say this all the time, but like this isn't a teaching podcast. We're not mm-hmm. experts. We don't claim to have the final word on this stuff. But it's a conversation that we invite you to join every week. And some of you have. So we're going to interact with your questions and comments.
0: Yeah. yeah. Now, typically, I have already replied to these through the inbox, right? And they're not just waiting. Like, when are they going to do another? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I'll get back to you, like, pretty quickly. <laughs> you yeah, know, but just for the public audience here to also enjoy some of the, I just curated some of these questions. So, awesome. Some of the really good ones. Uh, all right, this is from Corbin, and he said this. It was kind of a long email, but I'll just take a little couple sentence mm-hmm. sentences here. Um, so he's referring to the sharing your faith episode. Uh, where I kind of gave my preferred way of sharing my faith, and we looked at like the human predicament of death, moral failure, and suffering, using that as a starting place uh, to kind of get people on the same page. Like these are problems you should care about. If you're a religious inquirer, yeah. What are you? What
1: problem are you trying to solve by looking to religion? Mm-hmm.
0: Let's think of God. Instead of all the notions you've heard yep. growing up, let's just think of God as the being that is willing and able to rescue you from that predicament. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's, Corbin wants to focus on the first predicament of death, namely the possibility that my person, me, will come to an end. The finality of that, mm-hmm. right? Not just physical death. Not just your body, but, but like... personal death. Your like Whatever it is that I am, which ceases to be.
1: We could discuss. That's probably an episode on the show. Sure. Yeah. What, what, <laughs> what are I? you? <laughs> right. But yeah.
0: Uh, and so I suggested that it's in that episode that it is bad. It's a bad thing to cease to be. Like uh, you. Yeah. Okay. That persistence, continuing to exist, is good. All things
1: being equal, right? Like yeah. I, I can imagine some existences. I have pleaded actually for death myself. You know, right, like when I'm relatively in, minor, when I'm in so much pain or something, it's like I just want the lights
0: to go out. Was it last year that you evulsed your finger? Uh, that was yeah, I did. <laughs> last year, I, I did a few things. Last year, chopped
1: yeah, the, the tip meaty of my pulp penis. of the finger. Yeah, really took a chunk out of that. Split, you were doing the lighting over. Split my head here. open. Yeah, cut it on aluminium. Split my head open. Actually, it was a really bad bout of constipation that caused me to plead for my death. If you can believe that. Oh oh oh! It's so bad. I don't know if you've ever felt it. I haven't. Like, no, it's like it's like Satan reaching up and just
0: squeezing all your internal organs. Okay, brutal. So you've wanted. to... So anyway, I'm just saying all of that to say. But you are, more, maybe you wanted just your physical death, not your. That's true. You wanted whatever. I soul actually wanted to, to
1: continue on. exist, but without the pain. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I get you. Okay. So uh, back back to Corbin's email though.
0: Yeah. So. I was suggesting that it's a genuinely bad thing to cease to be, again, all things being equal and we can explore that a bit more. Mm-hmm. So here's what he says. Other than appealing to intuition, can you say more about the justification for valuing this uh, as genuinely bad, that is the cessation, mm-hmm. and persistence as good? In the podcast, Clint appealed to intuition, but I most definitely do not share that intuition as I daily yearn for my cessation. Hmm. He um, goes on to say, if I can just find it, where I'd want to take the conversation is what criteria could we use to determine whether persistence is a good or not? Hmm. As well as what else is or ought to be among the goods to be pursued? What a well written question. Yeah. Thank you, Corbin. Well done. Um, and just a heartfelt, uh, just. Yeah, gratitude for you engaging with this content. I hope you find it helpful. Um, that is a like quite a thing to say.
1: The that you yearn daily for your cessation.
0: Yeah. Yes, um,
1: I don't yearn daily for mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd i be curious. I mean, I'd want to grab lunch with you, Corbin, and chat. Is that something that you, you want every moment of every day? Or is it like there's times during the day where you're a like, season oh, I life. just wish it would end. Or yeah, a season of life. Mm-hmm. But to wake up every day and go, oh, this again? That's uh, that's a tough way to continue. If that's right. you know what's rattling around in your mind.
0: So, and I don't want to suppose that there's some really easy answer right. to this. And for those folks that don't want to cease to be, then um, I don't know if this is really like the the pr- the problem of how to value persistence isn't at the fore for them, right? For those people, does that make sense?
1: It's sort of a given. Right. I mean. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, but but even for those people, we might just want to reflect more on what is a is persistence itself inherently or intrinsically good, right? Or does the quality of the experience of that Determine existence, whether it's good or not?
1: Yeah, that's a valid question to wonder.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think I think it's the latter. Mm.
1: The quality is what determines whether yeah. or not it's. Good right. to persist. Yeah, going back to the constipation. Uh,
0: particularly, what Amelia came to mind was, um, I had just listened to a conversation with. Oh shoot! I'm gonna. I don't know the name of the guest, but mm-hmm. it was on Jordan Peterson's podcast. It's the director of Braveheart. Oh, now have you seen Braveheart? Mel Gibson. No Bit, kidding. Bits and pieces. Okay, I mean man, I know about it. Well, I know what we're doing a couple weekends okay. from now. All right. But in any case, spoiler alert, at the end of the movie, it's based loosely on the life of William Wallace, and I don't know for sure if this is how he died in history, but uh, at the end of the movie, he is like disemboweled, and then finally beheaded, I think, in the movie. What a savage way to go. And so the director was talking about how he was getting pressure from studios From the studio to like make it a happy ending. Like the gang would rush in at the end and save him before this would happen. And he's like, no, like he has to go out this way, standing for what he believes in and yelling out that freedom as Mm. he's on the table getting eviscerated. (laughs) Jeez. But I'm thinking of um, in that movie, the reason this happens is he's betrayed by one of his kinsmen. Um, He like the kinsman would have likely been slain in a battle or something so his life would have been shortened had he stayed loyal to william's just cause of freeing the scots Mm -hmm. but is is his longer life now that he's betrayed his friends inherently valuable just because it's longer Mm. i suggest that your moral failing and the life you now have to live as a betrayer is worse yeah this is a worse life that's, now that that's you. That's the kind
1: of hell you're now inhabiting. <laughs> does
0: that make any sense? Yeah. As a way of pushing on the notion that just continuing to exist Itself. is obviously better. Yeah. No, that's good. Because you no you you could opt in by your free choices a worse life. Yeah. You know. Now yeah. there's ways that life can be bad outside of your arena of choice. You mean like health issues and sure, whatever yeah. else? Disease
1: yeah. and um. Well, I, help me with this. I, I think my thinking on this has changed over time. I used to think for a long time that in order for like my life to be meaningful in a true sense, that my existence had to continue eternally somehow. But that a finite existence, like if I really did meet personal death at some point, that that would somehow... Strip my life of its meaning, the finitude of it. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not, I'm less committed to that now that just because something comes to an end, that it wasn't valuable while it was happening. Like mm-hmm. an analogy I've heard, actually, I think Peterson probably uses it is like music. The best symphonies aren't the ones that finish very quickly or whatever. It's like the length of the symphony actually doesn't matter so much. It's the movement within the symphony as it's happening. Mm-hmm. That's where the meaning is found. And I think there's something to that, that to the degree that I am. Awake and engaged with my life while I'm alive—it's meaningful. And if that was all to stop one day, it's yeah, it's just less clear to me that that would be. I used to think that would be the worst horror imaginable, and now I'm less convinced.
0: Well, those are different, I think. When you just you describe it as a horror, that's true. Versus meaning, yeah. I think you're right that uh, meaning isn't tied to infinitude. Significance doesn't require. Everlastingness, yeah. But I'll, I'll, the mere claim I, I think I'm trying to give is that uh, the even better if EBI, mm. it, it would be better if it were to continue.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, even when we were talking about heaven and again, all
0: things being equal, we're not talking about the betrayer. Mm-hmm. You know, don't do that. So this is in the context of a a blissful type afterlife, and again, that we can go into the weeds on what that would even be like or what, and what feel it could like, be like yeah, yeah. who knows I, th- I think when we were talking about
1: you know the good place and the afterlife and whatnot and been speculating about that um i don't think i don't think we're committed to it it being a state of permanent satisfaction either mm-hmm. there was another portion in his email where he sort of talks about that i don't know if you want to dig that up but the idea that uh, i don't know maybe maybe there's many people who think this, maybe I did for a long time, that sort of once you die and you're ushered into the heavenly state, whatever that is, mm-hmm. that you're sort of permanently satisfied in some way, lastingly satisfied. You don't experience desire, craving, hmm. um, suffering of any kind. It's sort of a, I guess in some sense, a static arrival point or something. But nowadays I am more open to an afterlife that would include Goals and progress and movement and frustration. And times? Maybe
0: shortcoming. Maybe you don't reach that goal.
1: Maybe. Yeah.
0: Maybe.
1: I don't know if that's heretical to say, but uh, yeah. D- I don't know. Did you find what I he's talking about? Mean, about? I mean,
0: uh, like, man, if heaven is at all like this life, mm-hmm. even something mundane like playing a game of basketball, mm-hmm. I mean, that there are winners and losers. And so like,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Not right, not right. everyone can win the game. Not of everybody's basketball. dunking all the time.
0: <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so shoot, I didn't win that game. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But in any case, yeah, I don't think yeah, there is a little line in here wondering about the absence of the possibility of dissatisfaction. Um r- 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 yep. So that's I'm not saying that like you were just mentioning let's leave open the possibility that dissatisfaction could at times Yeah creep in what i'm rejecting is that eventually your existence in the afterlife would become intolerably tedious or boring due only to its infinitude yes that there's something about the everlastingness of it that property alone that would make it insufferable and that that's what you want to reject that's what i want to reject that it that you should Ahead of performing the religious inquiry of whether God exists, don't even look into it at all, man. Because if these things are tied together, God and afterlife, yeah. you don't want a part of that. Right, right. Because afterlife is bad. If you, you get will,
1: locked into this thing forever. You'll eventually yearn daily for your cessation. Yes. Yeah.
0: You would eventually reach that point given infinitude. Yes. And you're rejecting that. I think I'm there rejecting There might be
1: such a thing as renewable pleasures. I think uh, it's really reasonable to
0: think that those might be be such things Mm -hmm. now again i have only but my limited experience here i I guess i could be wrong
1: but oh yeah he asked you to point to something outside your intuition
0: Mm -hmm. and i'm pointing to the i am pointing to things in my life yeah so spending time with my children or even last night we got together with some close couple friends Mm -hmm. um times spent With God and not every time I spend with God in prayer, Mm -hmm. but some of those times are in worship, yeah, like in music, um, food, even something as banal as that, yeah, Uh, the taste of diet Mountain Dew that I'll get on the way home. I I yearn for it now.
1: (laughs) You're already planning it,
0: (laughs) (laughs) and I will yearn for it next Friday. You know. Yeah. So yes, I think those things are renewable. No, I. Sorry. I know those things are renewable. Mm -hmm. I can return to them as a source of pleasure in the future. Mm -hmm. I have a really good confidence in that. The big question is whether it's inexhaustible. Will there come a time when those won't be wellsprings of pleasure Mm -hmm. that I couldn't stand it because I've just dipped in too many times? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, mean,
1: I've experienced seasons of my life where I get burned out on something that I was really enjoying. And it no longer brings me... I have no desire to do it. It doesn't bring me pleasure, Even the whatever.
0: simple pleasures of keeping this mortal coil going? Food, drink, sleep? You're asking me, have I?
1: No, not those. Not, okay. I'm thinking binging video games or okay. overdoing it on a food. And it's like, ah, I don't want that for mm-hmm. like a month or something. But a month later, I will want Chipotle right. again.
0: <laughs> and in this afterlife, yeah. pur- purportedly, there, there's plenty of time for... <laughs> it to kind of refresh again, yeah. you know? Yeah. I'm just, I don't see a reason. Yeah. So just to contextualize this, I'm, I'm totally open to having the conversation. We can wonder about the inexhaustible pleasures, but to suggest to someone that they should not engage in religious inquiry because it's an, it's going to be intolerably tedious. Mm-hmm. It will lead to that. Like, how do you know that? Mm-hmm. I just at, at, at the very least remain agnostic about it. Yeah. But some, but like for the paper I published and what's coming up in my dissertation, like plenty of people have written, like professional philosophers saying, like, "Oh yeah, it's gonna be intolerably tedious." <laughs> oh my gosh, dude! Okay, yeah. I felt the need to respond. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Does that
1: cover I enough? I think of so. That I don't know if we've given him a silver bullet there,
0: right? Uh, but I would suggest to so. If you're finding yourself in a position where like you kind of just agree that you would like to continue existing, then I would think that the morally perfect rescuer would be interested in providing that mm-hmm. if that's for your good, which it seems like it would be. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're someone that is not really, like captured by that idea, you, you don't think persistence would be valuable. Um, I would wonder why that is. Just doing some self-reflection, mm-hmm. and I don't mean to give like some trite answer, but do a deep inventory of what is it that would make me want to cease to be, and whatever that th- whatever you come up with there, that's causing that. Mm-hmm. I just I have confidence that if a moral morally perfect being does exist and wants what's best for you, whatever that collection is that that being could solve that problem.
1: Solve whatever it's causing you to yeah want to stop being
0: who knows what it is you know Mm -hmm. um emotional deprivation Mm -hmm. you know or a lack of tenderness with a loved one Mm -hmm. who knows what i don't know what it could be for someone but i just my imagination is not being stretched thin at all imagining that a being could design a A place you'd want to (laughs) stay yeah 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 Yeah. that that you'd want to stick around for this, again, none of this is proof that God exists or there is oh, a heaven. Sure. No, this is, this is speculative. Speculative. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Well, thanks, Corbin. Thanks for writing in. Yep. Yeah. Again, well-formed questions. Good. Good thoughts there. Uh, question number two, Justin uh, asked, "Can natural theology still be valuable as a stepping stone toward Christianity?" Mm. Okay. So a couple key terms for those who may just be turning in tuning into this for the first time Yeah, let's define some terms uh natural theology the attempt to know whether god exists and the nature of god uh purely from i don't know i guess uh non special or divine revelation yeah. like god showcasing himself or speaking to you or through a religious text but rather just from your own reason or observing the world around you like anybody could yeah yeah it's public it's public evidence, publicly available evidence yeah uh the so the project of natural, natural theology is to track down that evidence and see if it leads you to the conclusion that God exists or God is has some property yeah, and so we did an episode on natural theology
1: earlier on in this season, and mm-hmm. you laid out some of your concerns with natural theology. you think that it fails to Do what it sets out to do, which is introduce you to uh, a God that is personal and Mm -hmm. is able to rescue you in some way. You think natural theology doesn't quite get you there. And Justin's question is, but isn't it better than nothing? Does it get you closer Mm -hmm. than nothing?
0: Yeah, so my my position, you're right, is twofold. Not Mm -hmm. only do I think the natural theology arguments don't work, like they're not successful in generating the truth of the conclusion Mm. based on the truth of the premises. But I also don't think we should expect them to work given this way of conceiving of God Mm -hmm. as the rescuer. I just, I'm not sure that God would really be interested in revealing God's self Mm -hmm. in that manner. Yeah. Would want, because again, not to repeat too much of that episode, but that there's something about the public Nature of that kind of evidence that I can remain a bit distant volitionally or morally, I can treat it as a spectator. The evidence itself isn't morally transformative. Uh, we've used this line a bunch of times, I think you corrected me that it's in James, but oh. like even the demons believe and shudder, maybe, yeah, I don't know. So, th- like, there's this little line in scripture that kind of insinuates, oh, like, even. This more this will that's totally bent on malevolence yeah. has belief that God exists. Like yeah. that didn't really help at all. Yeah, for them to know that God existed. There's something more important, right,
1: at stake. So I I am sympathetic to Justin's question. I think it's mm. one that I've asked a while when you were first trotting out all of your radical uh, oh boy. dissertation ideas okay. to me. But so for the for somebody who let's say the atheist or even, let's say the agnostic, somebody who's like searching for the religious inquiry, the, somebody who's searching for God, mm-hmm. to lay out an argument like the, let's say the Kalam cosmological argument, classic natural theology argument, whatever begins to exist has a cause, the universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a natural theology argument where the conclusion is the universe has a cause. That's, yeah. that's the conclusion of the argument. Then you're left to sort of, so even if that argument goes through, you're left to sort of speculate about well, what kind of cause could this be? It would have to be outside space. It would have to be outside time because those came into being at the Big Bang, and so you start to sort of build these little qualities yeah. that you think could fit. And we're an trying a temporal, really yep, powerful agent. An, an unembodied mind. It's like oh, it's starting to sound a lot like God, you know. Mm-hmm. And Justin's, you're saying even with all those little other qualities that you maybe can speculate about. It, it never quite gets you across the line to relational God who wants to transform you.
0: That is my, that is what I'm saying. At most, yeah.
1: you get strange,
0: powerful, unembodied. Maybe you get figure. theism of a, theism? a, a cer- no theism oh. of a certain variety. Okay. Maybe that's the case. But I'm, yeah, I guess. So, what is this question I'm asking? Is it still valuable as a stepping stone toward Christianity? Well, again, what? yeah, go ahead. Yeah, he's. I think what he's
1: saying there is, wouldn't it be helpful in a conversation with an atheist or an agnostic, maybe more an atheist, somebody who's just like, nope, don't do spirituality to lay out a natural theology argument and open them up to the universe, having a cause outside of itself. Isn't that a helpful, doesn't that get them closer to a uh, relationship with God? than than I guess not using those arguments at all. Isn't an atheist who is open to the idea of a non-material cause is slightly closer to a being a Christian than the atheist who is not open to a non material cause.
0: Dude, maybe I'm just maybe I'm so wrong about this. But oh, wow. <laughs> I I just kind of reject that whole rubric. I think everything about almost what you just said misses the point. <laughs> great. I <I'm>, mean like <laughs> great. I just I guess I'm past the point where God's in the really cares about the believers. Yeah. And that, like everything what you just said was about uh, like agnosticism and theism states. and Christianity, how we've been talking about so far is yeah. uh, adopting a certain proposition. Yes. You know, accepting it. Right. And so valuable as, a, if we mean Christianity just as endorsing an idea that Jesus is God mm-hmm. or something like that and a few other ones, let's say. Yeah. Then I guess so, yeah. Like being a theist as a, as a result of uh, accepting the conclusion of a natural theology or argument like the Kalam mm. is closer on that little line. Oops, I had the mic. Um, it's okay. These mics can
1: handle anything,
0: man. Okay. <laughs> Not used to that. Uh, it seems closer than agnosticism or atheism, right? In, right. This, in the collection of beliefs. Yes, it does. Uh, it's. You're closer to Christianity if you're a theist yeah. than if you're an agnostic. Like, we can agree totally. Like yes. So in one way, um, yes, to answer your question. But in another way, not at all.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Justin, he's being annoying.
0: Because I don't know if Christianity is about or what God ultimately cares about is you changing Beliefies. those beliefs. Mental states.
1: That's he wants right. to transform your heart or wants to actually interact with you. Mm -hmm. cooperate co-create with you on a day-to-day basis and that's more important than do you believe the right things about the way the world is
0: and i would even go i want to go a little bit further Mm. and say well i have a published paper called is natural theology cognitively presumptuous do you yeah but great and i i almost want to go further than that paper and say there's something there's some there's something that can be morally presumptuous or damaging about This project. The natural
1: theology project? A
0: little bit, yeah. Because it's saying... What
1: emphasizes the wrong thing,
0: you mean? Well, just the posture of it is, I'm going to find out about ultimate reality and the nature of God apart from whatever God's up to. I can just kind of wrangle the world by my own intellectual prowess and I will find out whether God exists or not. Right Now, I get it in that there is a whole... Like systematic theology behind it, where you might say, Oh, this is how God wants to reveal, and he's left clues for us in nature or given us the powers of the mind through the ontological argument to discern that God exists mm-hmm. just from sitting just in an armchair and thinking about it. Reasoning, yeah. Um, I, I kind of reject that theology from mm. kind of what we've been saying throughout other podcasts. Sure. Is that making sense? No, that makes um, sense. So, if we're we're only talking about the belief structure for a person, then, yeah, theism is closer to Christianity than it. Who would deny that? Mm -hmm. I don't know if it gets you anywhere closer in in the currency that God cares about, and that's your moral transformation. Mm. There will be another way of saying it. uh, There will be plenty of people that profess to be Christians that... When I think maybe I'm wrong, but when they encounter the real living God in this blissful type afterlife, Mm -hmm. perhaps would be a little bit shocked Mm -hmm. to what true love is really like and, Mm -hmm. and maybe an atheist or agnostic is more acquainted. Yeah. Yeah. On that last day. Now I can imagine
1: I'm with you. I can imagine that having a conversation with somebody like this about natural theology maybe moves them along the path to, well, maybe as you get to resurrection and stuff, arguments for that, maybe I will investigate this Jesus fellow. Mm-hmm. And as you investigate the Jesus fellow, you discover something very compelling. Like we talked about in the previous episode, that when you see the cross and the love displayed there, that that transforms you in some way. So I can, I mean, even my own life, I can see how natural theology was a helpful stepping stone for me to be where I am today, like in terms of how I... Approach God and think about it. I, my understanding of what those arguments are accomplishing is different than it used to be. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't unhelpful for me to spend time with them.
0: Yeah. Well, we were talking to your brother Brad the other day, and hmm. we, I posed this question to him. And like he pointed out, I think, kind of what you're saying about like, I loved studying natural theology. It brought up a lot of helpful ideas and oh, brought yeah. together different aspects of my worldview that i hadn't made connections to and and had me thinking more about like the resurrection of jesus and uh just got me really interested into the thing philosophy spiritual things yep
1: and you're okay closely examining things yeah
0: but but then it's not that's not unique to natural theology there's plenty of things that form your mind right yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah
1: yeah
0: okay okay thank you justin thanks man i had lunch with justin he lives locally. So, oh, does he? Yeah. Okay, great. And we talked about this a bunch. Okay. Uh, okay. Lastly, Dennis. How do I want to approach the Dennis question? Mm. So, pretty interesting. He sent me a list and of items from the scripture, and he wanted to know whether I thought they happened. Here are some of them.
1: Did they happen historically, he means? I
0: think so. Um. Adam and Eve Noah and the flood Moses and the ten plagues parting of the Red Sea Sodom and Gomorrah Daniel in the lion's den uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego Did I say that right? You said it right? Jesus feeding the 5,000 Jesus and Peter walking on the water Jesus turning water into wine and the raising of Lazarus
1: So you just want to go through the list and like yes, yes, no, to yes, go yes, no, that no, no whole yes. list.
0: Okay. The listeners have already forgotten the beginning of the list <laughs> Um, I want to. I'm curious what motivates this question. I right know that's what I want to get to. Mm. Yeah, I d- it would be take us too far afield, I think, to go through to each actually one. dive into each one. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: In what sense does it? So he wants to know if these things happened historically as they are described in mm-hmm. the biblical text. That's right. And presumably, I don't want to put words in Dennis's mouth, but I imagine sort of. Part of the motivation for that is wanting to know, can I trust what I'm reading here? Or like, um, broadly speaking, is it true? Is the Bible true? Are all parts of it true? Mm -hmm. Are only some parts of it true? Uh, And we've maybe mentioned this in previous episodes, but I think one thing that's maybe helpful is for at least some of these stories, the historicity of them is sort of besides the point of the story whether or not it like actually happened mm-hmm. physically as described, is sort of to miss the point of some of these uh, stories anyway. In the same way that to worry about whether the tortoise and the hare actually raced would be sort of to miss the point of that whole fable. It's to teach you a principle. It's to teach you a lesson. And not to say that the entire Bible is like an Aesop's fable. There is mm-hmm. historical narrative in there where they are trying to describe the history of a nation and that sort of thing but figuring out which genre your particular story belongs to there is really going to influence how much you need that thing to have happened historically to have confidence in drawing a spiritual truth from it.
0: Yeah, I think you're spot on. Mm. So when, I think this comes up with the topic of biblical inerrancy, the absence of error. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And so typically that, I mean, there's a number of ways that, inerrancy could be described um one is uh it is true in all that it affirms and teaches so but but now we have to be careful about what we're building into what it affirms and teaches yeah i mean that's the whole game that's the challenge what is this thing teaching (laughs) yeah it is this purporting to tell you that daniel was in a lion's den Mm. I don't know. Like each of these needs to be investigated on their own. And I'm not a biblical scholar. Mm. You know, I'm I keep saying this in each episode, I caveats or whatever, but yeah, I'm not a train. I'm not trained expert on the book of Daniel. Like right. there are people out there that have translated it from the original Hebrew and know so much more about this years than and years of their life. Just Daniel. Um, yeah. But I just want to more at the 30,000 foot view, make the comment that the genre would matter. So, just because, I, just because I read a sentence, uh, Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden or Daniel's in the Lion's Den, I should not just bring my like rationalist baggage to modernistic view to the table. Like I'm reading a newspaper article yeah. that's telling me about current events. And so I bring all these assumptions about that genre to it. Like here's a play-by-play of what really happened. Mm-hmm. Because now I'm building into my doctrine of inerrancy oh it's making claims about how history unfolded and so to deny that daniel wasn't even a guy or was in the lion's den or in thrown into a furnace it would be to say it's an error yeah and so you've denied inerrancy well mm-hmm. i don't know if that's what it's purporting to teach right you know we'd have to go case by case through all of these yeah and even then what it, the or you might say that's just trying to teach a theological or moral lesson. Okay. And so inerrancy would say, well, it's true in all that affirms and teaches for that theology or morality. But even then we might quibble with, do we have to subscribe to that? Mm-hmm.
1: Even the even the historical stories that are included, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Just about any story that's in the Bible is there to teach you something about man and god and that dynamic and relationship right isn't that why it was recorded or is the motivation i mean maybe for kings and chronicles the motivation is just keep a record of our nation's history but i'm thinking why was this stuff written down at all why communicate any of this Mm -hmm. and is the important thing that was trying to be communicated uh hey these events took place here or is it like hey we learned something about our nature and god's nature back here and you it's valuable for you to learn that too Mm-hmm. Like, why was this stuff written down and communicated at all?
0: Um, That's a great question, man. I don't know. I mean, just even with our modern genre of history writing, mm. I love contrasting it with like a newspaper. So, mm-hmm. if you were to read the sports section of a newspaper, like the Akron Beacon Journal, now some are more editorial mm. and might describe um, in more colorful language, like what some of the players were doing on the field, and but usually there's like they'll end up being a section. Uh, the Bobcats were defeated, seventy-seven to seventy. They're giving you a list of facts. Yep. You know, they use this timeout at this time, and um, whereas, so that's a, that's a version of it. It's kind of a history mm-hmm. genre, the sports this genre. Is what happened? Here's right. how the game went. Now, um, place that alongside a a textbook about American history. Now, th- these are they're going to be a little bit different because. Uh, what I want to—the point I'm getting to—is there is a curative or um, agenda-driven aspect to any history writing, in a way.
1: When you say curative, you don't mean something C- that heals. You mean no. like curating.
0: Curating. Mm-hmm. I'm—I have to make some decisions about what to include and what to leave on the cutting room floor. Of course. And so. Uh, there are hundreds of and thousands of lives that were lived out in American history mm-hmm. that you're not giving all the details of. Mm-hmm. All of these different families that lived and died, and all of the soldiers, right. and you just can't.
1: No, you're picking and choosing. The and you're salient... so you're
0: trying to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Of so that's what's happening in in Scripture as well through these King. You brought up Kings and Chronicles yeah. of like a mythicized history mm-hmm. and trying to tell a story about like, God and we? man.
1: Where would we come from? Yeah, man. What's our relationship with God? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And so if that's what's, mm-hmm. if that's, what's trying to be communicated, let's say, then maybe that's another way we can tweak what we're saying about inerrancy. Like, is it even, is it even right for us to be asking the, or we're holding up the standard of it's true and all that it affirms and teaches? Well, some of this stuff isn't aff- trying to affirm or, or teach. Yeah, <laughs> It's a collection, maybe just a single author or a group of editors That are like, okay, here's, we have this agenda and that we don't need to, that's not pejorative. Right. That's a a goal. A a purpose. Aiming at something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. To pass on to our future generations, the story of our people who have been betrothed to Yahweh Mm. in some way, the deliverer of our people from bondage. Mm -hmm. And here's how we ended up in our promised land, let's say, you know, whatever the agenda might be. And we're telling you that story. So, I mean, maybe you can get some kind of like really general principle that's being affirmed or taught. And I don't know. Yeah. More careful work has to be done than, okay, what's the truth claim in this little sentence here? Mm -hmm. And that all of those together all need to be 100% factual or historically map onto things. Well, especially given that there's an,
1: what would you say? There's lots of different ways to think about what scripture is trying to teach and affirm, like different interpretations that you're subject to. So even if that's your bar that's in errant in all that it teaches and affirms, Mm -hmm. depending on who you talk to, that passage is teaching or affirming something different than what this guy thinks. And Mm -hmm. you're left with that challenge to sort out as well.
0: Right. So, yeah, just back to Dennis's question. Could you please say if you believe these events happened? um, I don't. I don't automatically think that a thing happened because it's in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So I'd have to take it on case by case basis. Yeah. As you get toward, uh, I find myself just, if just to throw Dennis a bone, I'll mm-hmm. answer a little, a little bit of this. The Jesus stories, I find more confident. E- I'm more confident in yeah, those yeah, yeah, rather than Adam and Eve, man. That is reaching back to, Oh, so far eons Just in the past thousands and, and thousands of years. i have really good reason to think that that genre of literature is not trying to tell you a historical account of human origins but is rather like a, a poem about a mm-hmm. temple inauguration where the temple instead of the surrounding culture is like here god lived in this little temple and you go here to sacrifice to him oh wait the the cosmos are god's temple the whole thing is the temple yeah yeah, yeah. No,
1: I'm with you. I feel the same way. Uh, maybe part of that is that we have, like, in the Gospels, we have sort of multiple inter- independent mm-hmm. attestation to the life of Jesus, the things he did and said. So, But for Adam and Eve, I mean, we've got other creation myths that we can sort of compare it to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. We'd have to take it case by case.
0: Yeah. Good question, though, Dennis. Right. Yeah. Happy to dialogue in person somehow yeah. about those.
1: Yeah. Good but- on, the Reverend.
0: Yeah. I think that's good for now for this mailbag. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you, if these brought up other questions that you're having or in other episodes that you've enjoyed, if, if you're having questions, please write them into the show, uh, mailbag at open to truth.com and I'll respond to you and we'll get you in one of the future mailbags. Yeah. We love to
1: interact with, with what you've got to say. We know that the, these sorts of questions and the deconstruction reconstruction journey can be an uncomfortable one can be a lonely one but we're having a conversation that we're inviting you to join so yeah write in leave a comment on the youtube video if you want we'll interact with that as well thanks for listening thanks for watching we'll see you next time stay curious
0: see ya